Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Church London catch-up service. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a passion to present Jesus to London and would love for you to be part of the adventure. So why not say hello to us by visiting our website manualchurchlondon.org so we can get back to you and say a bit more of a personal hello. One of the most And although Stu said we wouldn't do it, I think we should do it anyway. What do you reckon? Because Vic was there, ready to go. So I reckon we should just whip the sweets around. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Um, And whilst the sweets are going round, why don't you just turn to the person next to you for one minute whilst they go round and just say what you think the most significant thing that God has done in you so far this weekend is. And if you've just turned up, then um, you've only got an hour or so to reflect on. So it should be easier. So there we go. Just have one minute conversation whilst the sweets go around and then I'll grab your attention. So um, let's do this then. Romans 8. Um, if I just grab your attention back, hopefully the sweets have made their way around. Not quite. How did you not manage to get the sweets round? Come on, Viv. Don't be particular about the sweets. Um, So I'm going to preach from Romans 8. I'm not going to do the whole chapter. Romans 8 is a really famous chapter in the Bible. It's full of basically lots of good gospel news about how in Christ there's no more condemnation for you. All the condemnation that would have landed on you because of your sin has been taken away. That's verse 1. It's got this amazing reality that the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now at work living in you. The same spirit that resurrected Jesus and defeated death, lives in you and worked in you every day. That's verse 11. Verse 15 tells us that uh, we've received not a spirit of fear, but actually a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. We get brought in by the Spirit into a relationship with God as our Father. And 
And the Spirit is the one who actually works that into our hearts. So that's not just an abstract truth that we know, but it's actually an experienced reality that we live in. And then later on in Romans 8, probably the verse we hear most read out most often in church is that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Uh, Not height, not depth, not breadth, not a whole load of other things. Anything else in all creation can separate us. So it's just like full of good news. But there's this section in the middle that is much more sober. And it's much more kind of earths all of this kind of amazing gospel truth in the reality of our daily lives. And that's what I'm going to read. Um, I'm going to read it quite slowly because it's, it's, um, it actually you need to read it slowly just to kind of catch the meaning, I think, of what is being communicated. It should come up on the screen. Verse 18, it says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Amen. I'm going to do my best to preach this to you in 25 minutes, (laughs) which will be like the first time in 15 years that it's ever happened. And a good sign for those of you who are part of the London Bridge Church plant of what the future might hold. Um, So this whole passage is about suffering and glory. Yeah, I... He's comp- the very first verse, I, I don't think we can compare these present sufferings to the future glory that we've got coming. If you read the Bible, the New Testament, but actually the whole thing, it, it often puts those two things next to each other. Suffering and glory are the kind of norm of the Christian life. I was thinking about it this morning when I was lying in bed, actually, because I was Felt too tired to get up, and I was just thinking about Romans 8, which, you know, we probably were, all were. And I was just lying there, and I was thinking, it's, it's like gravity for us. Yeah, gravity for us. We have this saying, what goes up must come down. You throw something up in the air, it's definitely going to come down, because gravity makes that normative for us. In the Christian understanding of the world, you could say almost the opposite. What goes down must come up. When you suffer, it will in the end result in glory. In the Bible, death is very normal, but then it results ultimately in resurrection. 
What goes down into death will come up in resurrection. That is almost a summary of the whole Bible. <laughs> death will happen because of sin, but in the end there's going to be resurrection because of Jesus. What goes up must come down. What goes down will come up. And that's the kind of heartbeat of this passage. That there's this, First of all, he describes this cosmic tension. He says the whole creation feels it. This kind of dynamic that's going on. The, the creation was subjected. Oh, hang on. The creation waits with eager longing. The, the whole creation, it says, is feeling this tension between the present reality, which is earthly, fallen, sinful, broken world that we live in. That's the, the whole creation lives in that reality. And yet it's longing and waiting for a day in the future when that brokenness is going to be replaced by wholeness. When the futility of the world that we live in, because it's full of decay and death, is going to be replaced by a hope and glory and certainty because it's going to be replaced by a new creation. And it says the whole creation lives with that tension. Like it's, it's the reality of now and yet there's this, this future glory that we're going to go into one day as well. And it kind of pictures like... Look out the window, the whole creation. It doesn't look like it at the moment. It looks very peaceful. But the whole creation, it says, is basically longing for the day when Jesus is going to return and he's going to renew and restore everything to the way that God intended it to be in the first place. And the whole creation longs for that. And he says it's like childbirth. Like there's this painful experience and reality at the moment, but the reason you're going through it is because at the end of it, there's going to be new birth. And he's saying that's what the whole creation is like. It's like it's in the pains of childbirth, experiencing these birth pains because, because it knows what's going to come out is going to be new creation. And that's what it was here for. It was subjected to futility, but in hope that one day it would be released from that futility into the glory of the sons of God. That's us, by the way. The whole creation is waiting for the day when it's going to get released from its bondage into the freedom of the glory that you and I are destined for as well. It's a pretty amazing verse to kind of wrap your head around. So there's a cosmic tension, but there's also a personal tension. Because then it goes on from that. It says, not just the creation, but we who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Those of us who have become Christians... What happens when you become a Christian is you receive the Spirit of God. That's one of the things that's true of you. Your sins are washed away. You've adopted into the family of God. And you receive the Spirit of God within you as a deposit, guaranteeing your future inheritance with Him in glory forever. And he said the way he describes that in this chapter is the first fruits. You've received the first fruits of the Spirit. The first fruits in the Old Testament was when the, the first crop came in from the harvest. And when you had the first fruits, it was good news because it meant, hey, the whole harvest is coming. Yeah. So you would taste some, probably not in ancient Israel, but strawberries because we're British. You know, you taste some strawberries and think, oh, the whole, you know, strawberries for the next month. Brilliant. <laughs> because you'd know the whole, the whole harvest is coming in. And he's saying, You've, if you're a Christian, what's actually happened to you? You might never have thought about it like this before. In fact, lots of you probably won't have done that. But this is what's happened when you became a Christian. You, you tasted, you just tasted in your soul 
the beginning of heaven, the future coming into your life. You might have tasted it in the announcement of the forgiveness of sins. That might be the only thing you really tasted. Like of the whole fruit platter, you just tasted strawberries. You know, you just tasted forgiveness of sins, and that tasted good to you. You're like, I want it. I'm in. But that, that was just a taste of the future where there is no sin. So what you were tasting was this world that's yet to come where sin is done away with forever. Or you might have tasted an apple, you know. I'm picking the fruits at random. A different fruit, which is just the idea that death would be defeated. Like you could become a Christian based on that truth. Just the, the knowledge that Jesus defeated death. And therefore, instead of living in the fear of death, I can live with the hope of life. Well, what you've tasted in that little fruit, that just the beginning of it, is actually the, the beginning of a future. I'm just going for out there is the future because it seems appropriate. Uh, the future is there is no more death. There's no more death in the new creation. And you just tasted it, just a little sense in your soul of what that would be like. And you, that might have been enough for you to think, yeah. Well, you've, you've tasted the first fruits. If you've received the Spirit, that's the first fruits of the age to come. There's probably 10 different fruits we could describe of things that you've tasted, just the love of God. You might have just tasted the love of God. You must, might have just sensed in your heart, there's a God out there who loves me. Well, there is a future in which the love of God will not just be like a, a thing that you glimpse and try and grasp hold of and try and work into your heart because your heart keeps forgetting it. You will be consumed. You will be subsumed within it. You will know nothing but the fierce love of God for you for all eternity. You tasted it. Most of the time, we feel like we're just tasting it, yeah? Almost like another illustration, but we just get a whiff of it. You know, sometimes, whiff maybe much you think negatively, a scent, a scent. You might, sometimes you get a scent, you know, what's that smell, you know? And that's a bit what it's like sometimes. You read the Bible, and you just, sometimes I read through the Gospels, and you just see a little moment with Jesus, and it, a little kind of glimpse of light just kind of comes out of it. You see Jesus with the woman at the well, and you think, oh, Jesus is so loving and compassionate to people in need. And you just get a little glimpse of it, and then you forget, and you go on with your day. But one day, you're going to stand before Jesus, and you're going to see not a glimpse, but the full sight of his glory. All of his compassion, beauty, strength, wisdom, power, authority, grace, faithfulness, truthfulness, it will fill your gaze. It will overwhelm your heart, and it will be like that for all eternity. And what this verse is trying to get us to wrestle with and understand is the reality that we live, all of us who are Christians, in this tension. That we live in this world which is fallen, broken, decaying, futile, and our spirits actually have been caught up in a future world which is glorious and beautiful and we live with a tension inside us. And it describes that tension as being like in the pains of childbirth. One, one way I've thought about it is it's like, it's like if you put your foot on an escalator, and yet, but you leave your other foot on the ground. You've probably never done that. I don't recommend it. But you've, if you had one foot on the ground and one foot on an escalator, what would happen is eventually you'd start to feel the tension. <laughs> You know, you'd start to, this one would be going further and further forward. And unfortunately, Wangari is not here to demonstrate the thing in all its fullness. You know, 
but eventually it would get to the point where it would be quite painful because you're just being stretched. Part of you is stuck where you are. The other part is being taken off into the future. Friends, that is what Christianity is like. And I don't know about you, but I've actually found it really helpful to think about it like that. Because sometimes being a Christian is hard. Sometimes you just feel the pain of this world and you sometimes get confused because you feel like, I thought it was supposed to get better when I became a Christian. Sometimes actually become a, becoming a Christian actually makes it harder because you've tasted what it's supposed to be like and yet you're still having to live in the kind of earthly fallen reality of it day by day. And so we have to kind of live with that tension. It's like it's cosmic, but it's also personal. We read in verse 15 that we have received the spirit of adoption of sons. So that's something that we've received. And then we read in verse 23, we've received the first fruits of the spirit as we groan inwardly, as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. There's this tension. When we become a Christian, we receive the spirit of adoption as sons. We, we know inside, internally, God's adopted us into his family. We're now children. He's our father. And yet, we, we wait eagerly, longingly, for the full adoption of sons. For this moment where our bodies aren't stuck here on this earth, but our bodies get brought in, get resurrected and transformed in the same way that our inner spirit has begun to be so that we can experience it in its fullness and not just have taste, not just like a scent of something that then disappears, which I think is what a lot of us experience. Yeah, You have moments in worship where you feel like you glimpse the glory of God, and then the rest of the week you feel like, well, where did that go? Or you read a bit of the, ver- the Bible and you think, it's amazing. You read the same verse the next day and you're like, what was I excited about yesterday? I can't even think, you know, because it's like, it's, it's, it feels fleeting. It's, we're glimpsing it. But that's because you're tasting something that you're not actually, even your body is not even designed to fully encounter yet. Your body won't be, can't cope with what God has got for you in the future. And so you're just having to deal with little snippets sometimes. And I think understanding that is really helpful um, for the way that we live our lives. The key to all of it is the Holy Spirit because he helps us to pray. And the real danger is that we end up with a Christianity that avoids the tension. This is probably the heartbeat of why I thought it was a good idea to preach this sermon as the last one here and now. Everything that Stu was saying and Ben said earlier, this is probably the kind of the nub of it. There is a real danger that we embrace a version of Christianity that doesn't hold that tension. Either... We let go of the kind of the reality bit, the fallenness of it, and we, live, we try to kind of live with a Christianity that is all about the hope and the glory of the future. And we just think, oh, you know, like, oh, I'm a Christian. Everything's going to be great now. And that can last for a while, <laughs> you know, because you get caught up in the glory of God and your future and the church and everything. But eventually what's going to happen is that you're enjoying the escalator and the new view that you're getting. And eventually what's going to happen is your splits are going to cause you pain because you are actually still rooted in the earth. 
You're going to enjoy being a part of a church where God's present and you get the benefit of fellowship and friendship and and all of that. And then, as we heard from Simon yesterday, someone's going to let you down. The reality of broken fallenness in the church, in leadership, in relationships, in yourself is going to bring you back to earth with a bump. And what is happening is you, and if you, if you go around long enough, you will see it. You will just meet disillusioned, frustrated Christians who thought they were on the escalator being lifted up and then they've just discovered they've just been like they had a bit of an elastic, you know, like a scene from a film, you know, a bit of their dress was caught at the bottom and they just got pulled back. You know, that is what happens a lot and you see Christians all around like that. Or there's a danger that you go the other way, that actually you just, you defend yourself by just retreating into cynicism. You lose any sense of future glory and being caught up in the purposes of God and you, get, you just live over here, which is, yeah, the world is broken and so is the church and so am I and so is everything. <laughs> and, and you just live there because hope is too painful. It's too, it's too much to live in the tension of God's promised transformation and God has promised breakthrough and there's resurrection coming because it's painful when it isn't here yet. And so you think, stuff it. I'll just stay here where it's safer, where I can just be honest about the, how rubbish the world is. And there's a lot of Christians that live there as well. And it's a very uninspiring offering to present to the world around us. And it, it, we actually can't live that long without hope. We're not, like, people cannot function without hope. And the reason I say it's important is because I think we are witnessing around us various parts of Western Christianity crumble because they've not, they've not actually read the scriptures and lived honestly in the tension of what it means to be a believer. And you literally are... You will see it happening all around you. Various parts of the church were not built on the foundation of listening to and obeying the words of Jesus. And so in the words of Jesus, the storms have come and the house is falling down. And one of the things that can cause us cynicism and a lack of hope is to look around us and see the church seems to be falling apart. You know, the church that used to kind of sustain this nation is crumbling. And it can be quite disheartening and quite difficult to get your head around because you're like, I thought Simon said that the plan A was the church. <laughs> and when you look around and you see the church seems to be falling apart in so many ways, that can be quite concerning. And so one of the reasons I want to urge you to think about this and try and live in this tension is that if we don't, we basically build our house on the sand. We end up doing something that doesn't have the sustainability that God calls us to have. We won't survive. We won't survive unless we learn to pray in the Spirit, which is God's answer, basically. At the end of this passage, having described it, he says, likewise, so having said all that stuff about creation and tension, verse 26 Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, 
but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words can't express. That's, what he's saying is that's the way to live in the tension. The answer is to pray in the Spirit. We won't survive. We won't hold the tension. And we won't even survive in an increasingly hostile world. Or if we do survive, it will be just by the skin of our teeth. And our kids won't survive unless we learn to pray in the Spirit. Unless we together learn to be a church and churches that hold on to the reality of sin and fallenness and brokenness. That's just true and real and honest. But also the future of glory and freedom and hope that God has worked into us and worked into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The only way you hold that is you learn to pray in the Spirit. Now, just to clarify, praying in the Spirit, when I say that, I don't mean that some kind of elite level prayer. <laughs> I don't mean to imply that there's normal prayer, you know, which is when you just are on your own and you're just praying things, you know. And then there's elite level prayer, which is prayer in the spirit, which is what normally happens at the end of a meeting when the worship band start playing and you're feeling really emotional. Then you pray in the spirit. I'm not trying to separate. I'm, all prayer is prayer in the spirit. If you're not praying in the spirit, it's not actually prayer. You're just saying words. Yeah, there's, there's, no, there's not two types of prayer. There's just prayer. And the way you pray is to the Father, through the Son, in the Spirit. That's the way that believers pray. And what that means is that basically you are, prayer is living in that tension. When we say, like in the Lord's Prayer, on earth as it is in heaven, what we're praying is that future glory, Lord, I want it now. It needs to come here. Earth is broken and falling. There's this future glory that is centered around Christ. I want that to break into my life and to break into our lives here and now. That's what prayer is. The only way you hold that tension is by praying and walking with Jesus in the middle of it. You get that? <laughs> and so it's really, really important that we learn how to do it. If I had one charge, therefore, that I would leave with this church and with the leadership team, elders, those others that are carrying things in the life of the church, it would be this. Keep learning to pray in the Spirit because we do not know how to pray as we ought. <laughs> we, we don't know what to pray for as we should do. That's Paul, the apostle, who wrote that, yeah? It's a confession from him. We don't know how to pray very well. But God helps us in our weakness by giving us the Spirit because the Spirit knows what to pray for and the Spirit's within us and there's this mysterious kind of weird dynamic going on where God knows what the Spirit thinks and the Spirit knows what we think. We don't know what anyone thinks, but it's okay because God and the Spirit are working in us and working. And sometimes we don't know what to pray. We just know, ah, I want something. Sometimes it's just, it's the pains of childbirth. It's just, I want this thing to happen now. <laughs> I like to point out I'm a bit of a veteran and expert in things of childbirth. <laughs> Having been present at four different births, I've seen, my summary is, it looks painful. <laughs> and there is an urge to get this thing out. <laughs> 
But that's not just so the pain will stop. Yeah, that might be what the dads would think. <laughs> it's not just so the pain would stop. It's because this thing, child we should probably call it, we want this child to live. We want the new creation to come into being. It's not just, oh, please take the pain away. That's one form of prayer. That's a weak form of prayer. Really, it's God. Don't take the pain away. Bring out this, bring this new future glory into being. Because that's what the pain is about. That's why the whole creation feels it. Because it's longing for the day where it gets transformed, where the, the reason the whole thing was made in the first place comes into fruition. And I'm going to summarize in a couple of minutes how we hold that tension, which is just going to be a kind of summary of what I've already said. We, we, we hold it through pay, painful, patient, prayerful hope. You could summarize it like that. Patient, pa painful, patient, prayerful hope. Hope is what this passage is all about. It's painful because of childbirth, what we've just been saying. That means it's not always peaceful, which is a bit of a mind-bender, actually, because one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, and peace. And yet, one of the other fruits of the Holy Spirit is pain. <laughs> and that's quite confusing for us. Sometimes the Spirit comes and brings us pain by alerting us to the reality and the problems of the world around us. How would Sean and Rach describe their time in Kenya? Part of it would be, it is painful. It is painful witnessing and living in the brokenness and fallenness of this world. Seeing, like they say, corruption and poverty around, that is painful, just seeing in it. And yet, there's a kind of hope that God somehow will birth something of his kingdom in the middle of that. And then there's a kind of peace that God brings often when we pray. When we pray, the Bible says in Philippians 4, we lift our prayers and requests to God and we receive the peace of God, which is beyond all understanding. So peace is not some kind of settled state. We're not talking, Christians don't have the hope of nirvana in this life. We're not trying to separate ourselves. It's like a Buddhist idea, yeah? The Buddhist idea is that you kind of, suffering's not real and you kind of separate yourself from it and you just live in this kind of perpetual state of peace. It's not a Christian idea. The Christian idea is more like this. What happens is the spirit comes and you feel the tension. He robs you of your peace because some of your peace is false because the world's not as it's supposed to be. So you actually feel the tension and the hope. It should be different. But when you pray, what happens is you receive the peace that passes understanding from above. And that lasts for a while until the Holy Spirit actually prompts you to feel the pain again. <laughs> it's much more of a dynamic relationship. That's what Christ normal Christianity is supposed to be like. If we just try and find peace, which is what our world is looking for, we, we will be tempted to find it by just avoiding the problem, by taking ourselves out of the tension. That is not the way that Jesus did it. Jesus inserted himself in to the problem so that he could become part of the solution and he could give birth to a new creation through his death and his resurrection. So it's painful, it's patient. It's patient because in verse 25 it says, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That only makes sense 
if we understand that the hope he's describing here is a certain hope. Yeah, this isn't hope like, I hope England wing the ashes, you know, which would be like, uh, maybe, <laughs> or any other football tournament, or I hope it's going to be nice weather this week. Like, it's, not, it's not that kind of hope. This is a certain hope, which is why he says, if we, if we hope for something, if we know that something's coming, then we can wait patiently for it. Sometimes on a Saturday night, I love watching Match of the Day if Tottenham have already won because I know I can just enjoy it. And I can watch the highlights knowing they're going to win. Even if they go 2-0 down, I know, ha, 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 they're going to win in the end because I know it's true. And when we are living out our faith, we know the ending. We know that we've received the Spirit of God as a deposit guaranteeing our future in it. And therefore, we wait for it with patience. Because we know it's definitely happening. So we're not frantic and we're not panicked and we're not thrown by the sin and the distress and the craziness of the world as it goes into free fall. That, for Christians, that, that will concern us, but it won't panic us because we know there's a certain hope. So it's painful, but it's patient and it's prayerful. We live in this world full of prayerful hope. And the reason I think it's clear to me that um, hope is the kind of theme of what he's getting at is because later in the letter to Romans, he kind of summarizes it and he, he pronounces this kind of benediction over the Romans. In verse 13 of chapter 15, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. The work of the Holy Spirit in us actually causes us to abound in hope. It actually breathes a confidence. We experience peace and joy in our faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit then births hope, a true Christian hope, which is a future glory breaking into our earthly reality now. Now, I know that lots of us, we will, just, we will be living in the tension right now. You might not be feeling it intensely right now, but lots of us will be. Just we're living with the reality of our own brokenness, our own physical brokenness, decay, some of us as we get older, especially, or the, the kind of dynamic of relationships breaking down, which is the result of sin, or the, just the dynamic of things that we thought we were going to have not coming to pass, and grief, and all of those things. We live in the reality of them, but we live in, them, we live in the pain, but with patience, prayerfully looking to God for his breakthrough. And we've, we've just got a few minutes. I would just, I'd love us to pray and then we're going to take communion together before the kids come back in about 10 minutes. So perhaps we could stand. And um, before I hand over to Stu, I'm just going to pray. Or I'm going to do something. Because um, I'd love just to get us just to open our hearts, I guess. And then we'll have a moment to, um, to get into groups and take communion. Communion, I don't want to steal Stu's thunder, <laughs> but communion is one of the ways we, we pray in the Spirit, really. It's one of the ways we live in the tension, because it says, I think it's in Corinthians, it says, he says, do this, what does it say, Stu? Do this until the Lord returns, or something like that, <laughs> until he comes. Keep doing this, breaking the bread, drinking the wine, until he comes. You're reminding yourself every time you take communion that what goes down must come up. When Jesus went into the grave, 
is because he knew he was going to get resurrected. Every time you break bread and you take wine, you are remembering his death. That's what it says. It says, in doing this, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns or until he comes. And so we're going to be doing that in a minute. We're going to do it in groups, and Stuart will lead us into that. I also just felt as we were praying earlier in the prayer meeting that there was a couple of themes that I just, I guess, I'd love to encourage you to just be able to pray for each other and perhaps ponder as you go. One of them was the theme of barrenness, uh, which kind of, I guess, relates back to what we were saying before, um, that it's, it's very easy to get cynical when it, you feel like you've hoped for something and it hasn't come to pass. And I just felt stirred that there were people here that you feel like you've believed and you've prayed and you've lived for something and it hasn't happened in the way that you thought it was going to happen. And perhaps you feel like that's your normal experience of the Christian life and you just feel a bit spiritually barren, like you're not really bearing fruit. And I was just reminded of what a major theme that is in the scriptures, that Sarah, Abraham's wife, was barren until she had the son of promise, Isaac. And Rachel, Jacob's wife, was barren. And she cried out, give me children or I'll die. And Hannah, the mother of Samuel, was barren. And it led her to pray until God answered her prayers. And Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, was barren <coughs> until God broke in. When she was much older than she would have expected to be having a child. Is this this theme that runs through scripture of barrenness and how often it seems that barrenness is the precursor to significant prophetic breakthrough. That's what it was with Sarah. You know, it was like this promise from God. She lived with barrenness and then when God broke through, it was massively significant. It was true for Jacob. It was true with Hannah. She was barren and she felt the pain of it. And then God taught her through her unanswered prayers and worked in her until then Samuel came. Samuel was the prophet that anointed David to be the king. And it's the same with Elizabeth. She was barren. And then John the Baptist came. He was the prophet that anointed Jesus as the king. And I just felt for some people here, we won't have loads of time to pray together. But I felt like if you're living in that experience of feeling spiritually barren, I felt like I just wanted to encourage you to keep seeking God and his work in you in that moment, to, to hold on to patient hope, patient prayerful hope that God will work in you and work through you as you seek him. So Father, I pray that for us. Lord, I, I thank you for this uh, weekend together. I want to pray just as we take communion together, as Stu leads us into it, I want to pray for a work of the Spirit in our own hearts as we break the bread and we take the wine together. Amen.